Well, good morning and welcome to Epic. My name is Tim Jones and I'm one of the pastors on staff and we are so glad that you are here with us today. Today, we are wrapping up our series called Objections. And if you haven't been with us, uh, this series came about because of a survey that we did back in January. In January, we asked the question, what are some of your or your friends' objections to the Christian faith? And from those answers, there were about five subjects that emerged. And so we put together five different messages on those subjects. And the subjects were uh, Christian hypocrisy, uh, God's existence, why do bad things happen, uh, Christianity's exclusive message, and science and the Bible. And so it's been an amazing series. And if you miss any part of it, I highly recommend you listen to it on our podcast, especially if you have any questions. Well, today we're going to be talking about science in the Bible. And when I mention those two words, I'm sure there is a wide spectrum of thoughts and questions that pop into our minds. Uh, and so I'm going to need a little audience participation. I'd like to uncover some of those thoughts. And so just shout out one word answers to this question. The question is, when you hear the words uh, the, the, or science and the Bible, what are the things that you associate with those two words? So just yell them out. Evolution. Evolution. Dinosaurs, creation, nature, what else? Big Bang, there you go, awesome. Anything else? Carbon dating, man, you guys are getting technical. Man, that's awesome. So I'm glad uh, no one's pointed to their neighbor said missing link that happened in the first service. That was not a good thing this morning. Uh, we're still recovering from that, <laughs> but just kidding. But anyways, um, when you, as you can see, when we mention the word science and the Bible, uh, it stirs up a lot of questions and thoughts around that. Now, let me give you uh, an experience that I had around uh, those words. And so growing up, I grew up in a home that believed or a household that believed that God created everything and that there was logic behind it. Now, going to public school, there were many teachers that I had that would say that they would support evolution. And then I had a couple of Christian friends that I didn't want to really claim, but they were friends. Um, and I would label, label them emotional Christians. And unfortunately, many of them would get into debate with these teachers. And unfortunately, the only line of defense that they would have is that they would start crying and say to the teachers, you just have to believe. And that was their solution. And that would frustrate me to death with those teachers and in those discussions. Now, one time uh, when I was a freshman in college, um, I was taking this ancient world history class and the professor did not believe in God. In fact, this professor made it very clear that he was against all religions and especially Christianity. And so when he had a shot to take, he would take that shot. Now, uh, I'm curious, by a raise of hands, how many of you had a professor like that? Um, yeah, yeah, come on. I know there's a lot more. Yep, yep. So there are a lot of professors like that. So not too long into the class, um, he all of a sudden started to pick on Noah and the worldwide flood. And he said, you know what? There was no worldwide flood. Science has proved it. And in fact, in history as well, uh, Moses, who wrote that account and wrote the first five books of the Bible, uh, stole that account from many of the flood account stories that we have from other ancient uh, cultures at the time. And um, he also went on to say that both Judaism and Christianity uh, were made up. Now that fired up one of the Christians in my class and uh, she got pretty worked up. And unfortunately, she was pretty emotional about it, uh, which wasn't going to persuade him at all. 
And uh, at one point uh, in her emotional argument, she was like struggling so bad she looked at me. And I felt bad because I was like, I got nothing, you know? Um, I mean, I had never heard of this theory. I didn't know there were other flood accounts. And so I felt really bad, but I didn't have anything. And so uh, that day, if you were in my ancient world history class, you would think that, you know, it was over for Christianity. Um, And isn't that the case, though? Uh, And unfortunately, many of us have those types of stories. You know, we go into some college professor, and in one lecture, they seem to dismantle all of religion and Christianity through that one lecture. And for some of you, maybe that was your experience. Uh, Maybe you came across some new piece of information or some scientific fact, and it started to dent your faith. It started to make you uh, have this doubt. You know, how could God create, you know, the earth in six literal days? How could there ever be a worldwide flood? You know, isn't that what happens? You know, then we begin to doubt those stories and we say that they were just made up. Isn't that what led some of you to start kind of caving in and start doubting your faith? Or isn't that what happened to some of you and kept you from believing uh, in the first place? And so today, here's my goal. Today, I want to show us how science can show that the Bible is reliable. Um, And so I want to show that there is logic and logical evidence behind it. Now, my goal is not to like cause a debate or to debate you or anything like that. My goal is simply to present you with information that maybe you've never considered. You know, growing up in schools, you know, and in universities, we know that side. But have you ever strongly considered the other side? And so today, I would, my hope is that you would open up your perspective and simply consider that you would just be open-minded and not shut things down and listen to the information that I'm going to present today. And so today we're going to check out the creation account, and then we're going to quickly move on to the flood account, because those are the two events that are often under debate. And so today I would love for you to open up to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 in your Bibles or your smartphone devices. And uh, as we go through this message today, um, it's going to sound like a science lecture, okay? And uh, if you see somebody dozing off, just smack them. This isn't school. You're allowed to do that. No, don't do that, okay? Um, but anyways, again, I'm going to throw a lot of information at you, and, uh, but I think it's going to be very engaging. And so I have a lot of ground to cover uh, in this message. So go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 in your Bibles, and I'll give you a moment to get there. All right, before we begin, let me set the playing field, okay? So when we talk about the debate between creation and evolution, both sides have to acknowledge this fact, okay? Neither side can prove or disprove what happened at the beginning, okay? No one witnessed the beginning of time. Um, We can't recreate what happened because nobody was there, all right? And so we can only compare the interpretations of the data that we collect and see which interpretation best fits one perspective. Now you might ask the question, well, what does it mean or what does one's perspective have to do with interpreting the data, okay? Well, you see, we all have an opinion on what happened. And in science, everyone starts with something that's called a presupposition. Okay, and here's the definition of presupposition. A presupposition is a thing tacitly assumed beforehand at the beginning of a line of argument or course of action. 
That's how science works. So you begin with a notion and then you test your notion to see if it might be true. So everyone has presuppositions. Those who believe in God and those who don't believe in God do as well. Now, for instance, one uh, doctor, Dr. John D. Morris, Uh, who believed in creation, was working with a colleague at the University of Oklahoma. And he remembers this interaction. Uh, They were friends, and the guy wasn't anti-God, but yet he kind of believed in evolution and everything. They were having this discussion, and his friend all of a sudden got very emotional about it. So it happens on both sides, okay? And he took off his shoe, and he started pounding the desk. And he said this. He said, science is naturalism, even if the Bible is absolutely correct. Even if God actually created all things in six literal days, even if the earth is really only a few thousand years old, even if Noah's flood actually covered the entire earth, even if this is the way it actually happened and these things are absolutely true, the job of the scientist would be to come up with another explanation that involves no supernatural. So unfortunately, many of the scientists who claim to be evolutionists are of this persuasion. They start with a mindset that will not allow the supernatural to come into play. Now that becomes a limiting uh, mindset uh, when you're interpreting the data that's out there. And uh, it doesn't say that it's an option at all. And so very limiting. So at least for the moment, we're going to allow the supernatural, but we're also going to allow for science as well. And it's gonna be interesting. So let's begin, all right? In Genesis chapter one, verse one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, like a blank canvas. And darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters, showing us that he was intricately involved and that he's in the details. Verse 6, Then God said, Let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth, and that is what happened. God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens. God called the space sky. And evening passed and morning came, marking the second day. Now, it's interesting. It's like, it felt like he repeated himself like three times, you know? Um, and creation scientists hypothesized this, of what the writer's trying to get to. That not only did God create water that was separated, some on the earth and then some above it because there was sky and atmosphere and everything. And we kind of get this. Uh, We have an ozone layer and it's made up of of particles and everything. And so the writer is saying, hey, there was this canopy of thick atmosphere and, and many hypothesize that if there was a canopy like that around the entire earth, then it would have created kind of like a greenhouse effect, that everything would be perfect. And that aligns with scripture that said this was a perfect paradise. Now let's begin and let's continue and let me summarize the creation account because I'm going to, we need to know that because when we get to the flood account, there's some other things that we need to know. So keep that in mind. So day two, God created the perfect greenhouse environment with oxygen and water for plants and animals and humans. So there's logic to this progression. Day three, God gathers all the water together and causes dry ground to appear. And plants were also created. Now this is really important, okay? God did not create land out of nothing. All of a sudden he says he pushes away the water, land emerges, comes up and out. And this is really important. When you study geology, 
you realize that the first uh, layer of rock strata has almost no fossils contained in it at all, okay? Now that would make sense because the land was new and perfect. And so the description here matches what we find all across the earth, that that first strata has no fossils. Nothing had died yet. Let's move on, day four. The sun, moon, and stars were made to assist all life. We just had plants created the day before. Hey, we need sunlight. Life wouldn't happen without sunlight. Day five, the birds and the sea life were created according to their kind. Now that phrase is really important, according to their kind. When you read Genesis, it is repeated over and over again about plants, about animals, about sea life. Now, did you realize when we started to really domesticate dogs that within 500 years, there became 500 different breeds of dogs. Now this baffles scientists' minds. They're like, that is amazing. In 500 years, 500 different breeds. But that shouldn't surprise us. That happens with cows and goats and other animal life, goats and bears. And so God created their kind. And from their kind, there are different varieties within that kind. And so that's important to know when we get to the flood account. Now day six, God created the animal life. He shaped and fashioned man and woman. And so after Adam and Eve sinned, sin changed everything. And the earth started to populate with tons of people. And they did evil things. They went against God, just like Adam and Eve had gone against God. And everything grew out of control and very fast. And so fast forward now to Genesis 6, 5. In Genesis 6, 5, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. And he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. And so God gave uh, these people 120 years to turn from their evil ways, but they didn't. And we don't have... Uh, We don't know what things were like prior to the flood, but it's interesting. Archaeologists have found this tablet um, that gives an account, and it's from the Akkadian culture, uh, which was near uh, where potentially the ark landed in modern-day Turkey, and it has some interesting details of potentially what it was like prior to the flood. They found this thing, and it dates probably just after the flood, if the flood actually happened. And so here's what the account says. Here's what they uh, deciphered, and I'm going to give you an overview because it's hard to read those words, but here's what they wrote about it. The tablet described the land as well-watered and lush until the last seven years before waters from below erupted. The skies opened up and the flood arrived. It lists the difficulties each year brought, including excessive hostility among the people in the third year of the seven. The fourth year, the people felt hemmed in by calamities and overcrowding. In the fifth heartbreaking year, grown children returned to their parents for relief from the famine, but were turned away. Infants seeking milk were denied by their mothers. The sixth year was worse as parents cannibalized their children. Neighbors turned on neighbors for food. Described as walking dead people with wasted bodies, they all soon succumb to the floodwaters. So crops are described as withering away, the rain dried up, and the rivers ceased to flow. Dry ground produced salt, a pestilence overran the people. Neither human nor animal, animals could bear, children, bear young. Now, here's what's really interesting about this account found on this tablet. 
Um, as geologists have studied the rock strata within our current uh, earth, they have found tons of trees that were petrified and their ring, uh, ring lives are intact. Their uh, rings are still intact. Now, creation scientists believe that the reason that all these trees got buried is because of the flood. And uh, here's the interesting thing. As they've studied these trees, the last seven years of their life show that something happened. Something dramatically impacted the environment, and it shows in all of these trees that they continue to find. Now, isn't it interesting that we've got science that has found all these trees with seven years being disturbed in their rings, and then we have this tablet that has been found, and it looks like both science and history align. Now, let's continue on with the flood count. I told you it's going to get scientific here, all right? So hold on, all right? Genesis 6 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them out along with the earth. Build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat to let light in, but the door on the side and build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. Now, do you realize um, in the Western civilization, for most of Western civilization, up to the 1700s, they believed in a worldwide flood. And here's what happened. In the 1700s, people started going out and studying the earth in more detail. And they're like, oh my goodness, we are measuring all these things. How in the world could some of these things happen? How could Noah fit all these animals aboard of an ark? You know, How could the waters cover the highest mountain peaks that we've discovered, like Mount Everest, which is 29,000 feet high? And so those were great questions. Now, this past or past year, last year, um, I took my family to the Ark Museum uh, in Kentucky, just outside of Lexington. And scientists uh, got together and they built this Ark of what it would be like according to the scriptures and everything. And it is amazing. Now, one of the fascinating things, and I'll just throw a few of those facts out at you, is that when God told Noah to build the ark 450 feet long and uh, 75 feet wide, that is a six to one ratio. Now, you might say, well, what's a six to one ratio? Uh, we've got some shipbuilders in here. And that is the ratio that people today aim for when creating large cargo boats and battleships, a six to one ratio. And so here's this document from 3,500 years ago of God ordering Moses to build it a six to one ratio. And it was actually probably even an older document because it was passed on from generation to generation through word of mouth. And so all of a sudden you have this perfect scenario given to uh, Noah for this to make sure the boat would not capsize over. Now, another interesting fact, you say, well, how could he have built that boat? You know, he's got three sons. So let's say... Um, 
what they've done is they've recreated the situation. They even dumbed down the process even more just to say, hey, let's just see what happens. And so they started to construct things. They timed it out and all these experiments. And it took, if you're working at the slowest rate possible, uh, it takes 87 years to complete that arc. And so uh, well within the 120 years that God had told Noah and warned the people of the earth. Um, now, you might talk about the animals of the world. Today, there are one million species uh, that we have discovered uh, on the earth. And most of those are actually made up of sea life, of uh, bugs and ants and all those types of things and microorganisms. Well, those things didn't have to go on the boat, okay? They can survive without a boat. And, um, and so when you boil it down to it, uh, that gets the number down to about 16,000 species, and some think more like 12,000, but they say, hey, let's just tack on a bunch more just in case we miss something there. And uh, that includes the dinosaurs as well. And so uh, what happens is when you look at that, do you realize that most of the animals that we have are the size of sheep or below? And so we think of animals, we think of the large animals and everything, but most animals, including the dinosaurs, are only the size of sheep or below that size. And so at that rate, then only 36% of the ark's capacity would be full. And um, that would leave plenty of room for food and for their water system and everything that they built within the ark. If you have never been to the ark museum, I highly encourage you to go to it to see what it possibly could have been like from a scientific standpoint. So let's continue on. Uh, in chapter 7, verse 11, uh, just how bad was the flood? So in chapter 7, verse 11, when Noah was 600 years old on the 17th day of the second month, all the underground waters erupted from the earth. This is major, okay? And the rain fell in mighty torrents from the sky. The rain continued to fall for 40 days and 40 nights. For 40 days, the floodwaters grew deeper, covering the ground and lifting the boat high above the earth. As the waters rose higher and higher above the ground, the boat floated safely on the surface. Finally, the water covered even the highest mountains on the earth, rising more than 22 feet above the highest peaks. So where did all this water come from? Well, as the Bible says, it says that in the creation account and then from the flood account, that the water came from above and below. Now, you remember back in the creation account, the canopy, okay? So we've got all that condensed atmosphere up there, which would have helped with the rain. But here's the other thing. Below, we've got waters erupting. Now, from modern science, um, we know a few things. Now, the last two years, unfortunately, we've experienced uh, two hurricanes and almost had direct hits here in Palm Coast. Uh, but fortunately, they skirted away. And we know how much damage they can do. But could you imagine if there's all this water underneath the earth and it is being let go across the entire planet, what pressures would be released? Recently in Hawaii, they're having an eruption. Could you imagine all the volcanic activity that would have started to happen, all the magma that's coming up, all the oceans heating up to continue that rain cycle that's going on, and all the tectonic plates that are shifting because of this doomsday type of event? Now, there have been tons of movies showing doomsday things. If you want doomsday and where it originated, it came from the Bible. And so here we see this stuff happening. 
Now, scientists have learned a lot in the last couple decades, okay? So here's a little more science at you, all right? So when there's major uh, events like volcanoes and tsunamis and stuff, they've learned a few things. And here's what they've learned. And when Mount St. Helens erupted in 1980, here's what they learned. 600 feet of sediments were rapidly deposited, which are identical to the rock strata found in our Earth's crust. And that, yet, that was created by a volcano in one blast, The second thing, a deep canyon that's dubbed the Little Grand Canyon was formed in an afternoon, just one afternoon. And the third thing they learned, fresh volcanic rock that was formed from this thing, when they tested it, um, it tested to be over a million years old with modern techniques, but yet it was only a couple decades old. And the fourth thing they learned is that there was a thick layer of strata that was like the precursor for coal. And they found that if there was probably one more eruption, it would turn into coal. And so you've got all these things that scientists are learning and they're starting to go in the direction of, oh my goodness, the world has really changed and it changes through rapid changes, not slow changes. And so is it possible for the current geography that we have today to happen from a worldwide flood? Well, many scientists who do not believe in God who are geologists and who test on how we can form the rock strata and stuff. There are experiments to show how we get the different types of rocks that we get. Here's the key ingredient that they find in forming those rock formations. It's fast moving water, like really fast moving water. In fact, limestone, uh, sandstone, and shale cannot happen without very, very fast moving water. And so a worldwide flood can account for that. So here's some other results after the flood. Chapter eight, verse one, getting back into the story. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and livestock with him in the boat. He sent a wind to blow across the earth and the floodwaters began to recede. The underground waters stopped flowing and the torrential rains from the sky were stopped. So the floodwaters gradually receded from the earth. So here you've got a global flood. And after this global flood, it was the perfect conditions for an ice age. You've got, what do you need for that amount of ice? You've got to have a lot of moisture in the air. And there was so much moisture in the air because remember, you've got the eruptions from underneath the oceans. You've got newly formed volcanoes on this newly formed land. And so enough to cause an ice age and glaciers. And so from all the tectonic plates that are shifting, uh, all the mountain ranges that we have today came from them shifting. We have Mount Everest being at 29,000 feet. But also this explains why when they find fossils, did you realize 95% of the fossils are sea life that they find on land and Mount Everest is covered in them? And so you've got all this sea life being found, all these fossils left over. And so when the Bible is talking about waters covering the mountaintops, it's talking about the mountains that were there prior to the flood, not the ones that we have currently. And if you flattened out all the land that we have, new studies show that all the rock that, or all the water that within is contained in rock as well, we would have enough water to cover the entire earth by two miles if if land was totally flat. Now, here's something else that's really powerful. Chapter eight, verse 15. Then God said to Noah, leave the boat, all of you, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. 
Release all the animals, the birds, the livestock, and the small animals that scurry along the ground so they can be fruitful and multiply throughout the earth. So when Noah's sons left the ark, they began families. They had taken their wives on board with them. And we have detailed genealogies of all these people groups being formed. And anthropologists have cataloged over 200 flood accounts from these people groups. And so experts who are experts in myths, when they say there's that many types of myths with similarities, then two things happen. Either there was A, something that happened in the past that these people groups had happened and they know about it and it's been transmitted down to all these various people groups or all these people groups had something similar happen and it's described in their different types of myths. And so you remember my professor at the beginning. Now, I didn't have anything at that point. I mean, I was stuck, you know, and it didn't look so good for Christianity that day. Now, if he were here in the room, here's some questions that I would ask him and just a normal conversation. You know, hey, why is it that all these cultures have some type of flood account in their stories and in their histories? You know, why is it that they would all feel the need to include that in their mythologies or in their history? And why is it that anthropologists or mythologists, you know, wouldn't it be more simple or a better explanation that something probably most likely did happen and they were all drawing from that? as mythologists have said. And then as we uh, learn from the anthropologists, you know, hey, when these people have their own flood accounts and their own stories, aren't there a lot of them that consider that to be history, to be considered fact? I mean, we think it's a myth, and yeah, there's some parts that don't jive, but my goodness, there's a lot that does jive. Now, I want to share with you one of those flood accounts. And this flood account comes from the Mayo people uh, tribe in China, okay? And when uh, scientists stumbled upon this story, it blew their minds away, okay? So here in their tradition, this story was history. And they had passed it along. Everyone in the tribe knew it because it was in a song, and they all sang it at different festivals, and it had been passed down generation after generation after generation. Now, what I'm going to read today uh, is they tried to do a one-for-one -one translation. So it's going to you know, sound a little weird at times, but it, it, they were trying to get the accuracy of a translation. And so it doesn't jive with English, but they want to show you what it means. So listen to it and uh, see how familiar it sounds. Again, this was found in China, way away from the Middle East. On the day God created the heavens and earth, on that day he opened the gateway of light, in the earth, he made heaps of earth and stone. In the sky, he made bodies, the sun and the moon. In the earth, he created the hawk and the kite. In the water, created the lobster and fish. In the wilderness, made he the tiger and bear. On the earth, he created a man from dirt. Of the man thus created, a woman he formed. Wow, that really follows the six days of creation and the order. The patriarch Doret begat patriarch Sete, and that looks like the name Seth. The patriarch Sete, Seth, begat a son Lusu, and Lusu had Gilo, and he begat Lama. The patriarch Lama begat the man Nua. His wife was the matriarch Galbo Luen. Their sons were Lohan, 
Loshen, and Jehu. So the earth began filling the tribes with tribes and with families. Creation was shared by the clans and the peoples. These did not do God's will nor returned his affection, but fought with each other, defying the Godhead. Their leaders shook fists in the face of the mighty. God's anger arose till his being was changed. His wrath flaring up filled his eyes and his face until he must come and demolish humanity. Come and destroy a whole world full of people. So it poured 40 days in sheets and in torrents, then 55 days of misting and drizzle. The waters surmounted the mountains and the ranges, the deluge ascending leapt valley and hollow, an earth with no earth upon which to take refuge, a world with no foothold whereon might subsist. But the patriarch Nua was righteous, the matriarch Galboluin upright, built a boat very wide, made a ship very vast. Their household entire got aboard and were floated. The family complete rode the deluge to safety. The animals with him were female and male. The birds went along and were mated in pairs. When the time was fulfilled, God commanded the waters. The day arrived, the flood waters receded. Then Nua liberated a dove from their refuge, sent a bird to go forth and bring again tidings. The flood had gone down into lake and to ocean. The mud was confined to the pools and the hollows. There was land once again where a man might reside. There was a place in the earth now to rear habitations. Buffalo then were brought an oblation to God. Fattier cattle became sacrifices to the mighty. The divine one then gave them his blessing. Their God then bestowed his good graces. Their offspring begotten became tribes and peoples. Their descendants established encampments and cities. Man, isn't that amazing? Here's these details that have been preserved for thousands of years. You know, isn't it amazing, just from 30 minutes, how much science can show the Bible to be reliable? Isn't it amazing that we have so much information, and just from that, that we can make an informed decision about God? You know, sometimes there's a complaint that if you have to believe in God, you have to have blind faith. Well, that's not what God has designed. He's given us plenty of information to make an informed decision. It doesn't have to be blind. He doesn't want that. And so today we're wrapping up this series. And for some of you, you've come to this series just to hear this series. And as you've been progressing through this series, you've had questions. And some of those details have been fulfilled through some of these messages. And after today, you might be saying, oh my goodness, how did they know? How did they have the questions that I've been asking? Well, that's a God thing. And so maybe today, the next step for you is to simply say, you know what? I'm going to trust God. And so in a moment here, I'm gonna close in a word of prayer. And if you have had the details kind of answered, maybe you're ready. Maybe today you just need to simply say to God, God, thank you so much for those details. I never knew about all those details. And so I've always kind of thought Jesus was a good guy, but today from the details that you provide, I can see that you are trustworthy. And so today, Jesus, would you forgive me of my sins and would you become my savior? 
Now, others of you, maybe this stirred up even more questions in your heart, and that is totally fine. I'm glad it did. I'm an analytical type guy, and I love to dig deeper. And so my encouragement for you would be to continue to dig. Don't stop. Don't hold on to a presupposition. Okay, keep doing your homework and dive in. And today, uh, I've put on our spiritual growth challenge three resources, three key resources. I think if you believe in God or if you don't believe in God, you should have these three resources and you should read them. And after you read them, then you should make a decision. And because it is simply amazing of uh, the information that we have. And so I'd encourage you to do that and keep coming back. Now, for the rest of us, I hope you have been encouraged that you have a God who is trustworthy in the details. He's all about the details. And so I hope that you'll be encouraged to continue to share who he is with others and that you will share how Jesus has changed your life. And so let me close in a word of prayer and then we'll be dismissed. So Father, thank you so much for today. Father, thank you so much for the details. Man, sometimes we are told that there are none out there. But Father, there are, and we have to dig. But yet, God, how are these details, how are they found? God, you provide them to us. And so you are amazing at doing that. So I pray for those who maybe today, it just clicked. And it's like, man, that's exactly what I needed to hear. And so I pray for the next step, that they would simply believe and that they would ask you, Jesus, to forgive you of their sins. And so, Father, I pray for those who still have questions. I pray that they will do the hard work to dig in. I know that was a lot of information, but, God, there are resources out there that uh, put out there, just like today, that this is something we can talk about, that there is information to talk about and not argue about. And so, Father, uh, I just pray that you would continue to help us tell people who you are. God, you have a story that is not made up. And we can be confident that you are trustworthy in the details. So thank you for being that way. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you guys so much for being here. And come back for Mother's Day next week. Your mother will be appreciative of that. Have a great day.